Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of the NFNL podcast. I'm Samuel Zito, joined by Jordan Canellis. Jordan, fantastic to have footy and netball back at the weekend. Obviously we had a split round the weekend prior with only one game over the Easter weekend. It was great to have, as we said, both competitions back in it. Massive weekend, obviously, Anzac round. Great to see the, the Anzac spirit commemorated over the weekend's fixtures. But, gee, it's left us with some, some real talking points, round three of footy, particularly in our senior men's competitions. What did you make of, of what we saw over the weekend? Well, firstly, well, thank you for having me again, Samuel. Uh, firstly, it was a great weekend for um, for uh, Northern Footy League football and, and football right across the country, commemorating the Anzacs. Football and, and Anzac Day have a great relationship and, um, you know, there's a lot of... I guess similarities between what the Anzacs did in football, but also a lot of differences as well, a lot of obvious differences. Um, but I think we uh, we celebrate that sort of relationship uh, very well across all levels of, uh, of sport in Australia. But in terms of the actual uh, football that we saw, especially in the senior men's, there was um, a lot of surprises. I think we continue to be surprised by the poor form of our grand finalists from Division 1 from last year and, and, and their form at the start of the year, both McLeod and West Preston, 0-3 to start the year, 8th and 9th in the Divi 1 table. But for me, I think the stories of the weekend were probably, I think they probably came from Division 3. Heidelberg West are the team that, um, I don't think they're flying under the radar anymore. They might have been people's tips to fly under the radar come, you know, in the pre-season. But the way that they've been going and the win that they had on the weekend, um, winning by five points over South Morang, I think puts them sort of right up there and people are going to start really considering the Hawks now in, in Division 3. Um, so that's that's an impressive win for them. Lorimer also had a, had a really close win. And, and then the, the game that we covered on the uh, on the radio game, the match of the day, Eltham and Whittlesey in Division 2, um, was probably rightfully the, the match of the day on that Saturday um, because of the, the great comeback that the Panthers put on. So stories across all three divisions, but I, I sort of like the story this weekend of the Hawks in Divi 3. Yeah, we'll certainly go through each competition in, in more depth as, as we go through the program, but you mentioned comebacks there. That's what I'm loving about 2019 so far. You, you go back to round one, you had Lowell Plenty, seven goals down in the first quarter mm. of their return to Meadows Greyhounds Division 1. I don't think even the most uh, positive pair supporter would have predicted they'd come back and win that game by close to six goals. They might have had hope that they could get back into it, but to be seven goals down, win by six goals, doesn't happen all that often in footy, or, or so we thought. The, the very next week, still in the top flight, and we saw North Heidelberg trail by 47 points in the last quarter, albeit didn't get the win, but to be 47 points down in the last quarter at Bandura mm. and get back within four points, nearly pinch it right in the final seconds as well. It just shows you're never out of the game. And then you just mentioned those two results we see in round three. Heidelberg West, five goals down in the, th- in the third quarter against South Morang, came back, won that one by five points. One of their great victories, we'll talk about it in a bit more depth going forward, but they're 3-0, and zero, but to be five goals down at a venue which hasn't brought a, a great deal of luck for them over the past decade, to win that game massive, and, and Altham much the same as well. I mean, they were down and out really throughout the first three quarters of that game against Whittlesey. I know they were at home and, and probably played better in the third quarter, but first half of that game was not played on their terms whatsoever. Looked in trouble, only had six goals at three-quarter time, mm-hmm. and then managed to kick six in the last quarter, win by 14 points. But I'm loving the fact that this year it seems that you're never out of a game of footy, and hopefully that just means we've got even competition so that when you're playing your best footy, you're capable of, of beating almost any side as well. But liking the fact that 
the game's never over here in the Northern, Northern Footy Netball League, and I, I hope it continues throughout the season. It's when you get those wins, particularly early, you, you think it's it's got to be great for for team spirit and morale going forward to to future games as well. So, absolutely uh, massive what uh, what happened to with a few of those come from behind wins across the weekend. We also saw some some action on on the netball front as well on on the Friday night. So that was fantastic. We hadn't had netball for two weeks, so we had the uh, the school holiday break. But great to have so many games in action. Forty seven games played across five venues. The highlight for mine was old Altham Collegians getting their first win. So we know with grading that it's going to take time for, for us to, to get a, a guide as to who sits where in, in the scheme of things, and particularly with so many sections of, mm. of netball as well. But but good on them for getting their first win, uh, old Altham Collegians. They got over the top of Greensboro 3 by 8 goals at, at Mernda Central. And obviously having the full round back in action of, of women's footy as well. There was an Anzac Day game with Heidelberg playing at home to, to VU Western Spurs. Two VU got the win there, but great that uh, for the Heidelberg Footy Club and VU to arrange that game on Anzac Day as well. The senior men's game on that day started early at, at 20 past one, allows them to play the women's game in the twilight lovely conditions on the day as well. Was so there a triple header that day? There, there was. They had the reserves first yeah. into the um, into the senior men's match at, at 1.20 and then the senior women's played thereafter. Fortunately, really good weather, good crowd in action means that you don't have to utilise the lights because yeah. um, you know, you're know you playing at that earlier time and, and as we said, the, the weather was, was really kind to us. And then the women's action continued throughout the, the course of Sunday. Um, a particular uh, you know, thumbs up to the Reservoir uh, Sporting Club with their women's side getting the club's first ever win they went over to to Ben Freelay Oval and defeated Hurst Bridge good for Hurst Bridge as well I mean I know they've lost but they had a really heavy loss in, in round one against Heidelberg um didn't drop their bundle. It was a much closer game yesterday so plenty of action throughout the, the women's competition as well Jordan, we're going to go and have a look at Meadows Greyhounds Division 1. There were five games played uh, over the over the weekend. Obviously, the full complement uh, after, I guess, a, a split round of sorts over Easter with one game held over till Good Friday. We had an earlier game which was played at Warringal Park, as we mentioned, on Thursday, Anzac Day. Heidelberg, 13 goals, 12-90. Defeated McLeod, 5-7-37. Plenty of talking points to come out of that game there. We'll also uh, hear from Frank Razzo in a few moments' time as well, the coach of Heidelberg. On the Saturday, four games, Northcote Park, 18 goals, 13-121, defeated Hurst Bridge, 9 goals, 10-64. North Heidelberg, far too good for West Preston Lakeside in a rematch of last year's preliminary final, 17 goals, 12-114, defeated the Roosters, 8-7-55. Bandura did what was probably expected of them, beat an undermanned Lowell Plenty at home, 16 goals, 17-113, over the Bears, 6 goals, 7-43. And in the twilight game at Montmorency Park, it was the home side, Montmorency 10-8-68, going down to a Greensboro side, which is looking pretty ominous early in the season. 13 goals, 21-99. And Greensboro, they'd be happy to take away a 31-point win. Could have been much more. I mean, 21 behinds, you don't see that all too often. And looking at the scoring shots here, 18-39. to That one could have blown out more, probably fortunately for the neutrals that the Borough didn't kick as straight as, as they otherwise could have. Yeah, 18 scoring shots to 34. And I think we were talking about this, if I recall, on the on the match of the day uh, coverage on Saturday. Um, Greensboro just looked like they have, the, for me anyway, the, the best team all round on the park. We've we've always known that Greensboro have had a great defence, and that's been led mainly by, by Nick Riddle and Dan McClendon and then their offsiders in, in Jack Johnson and, and a couple of others, Adrian Cataldo. Um, 
their midfield has has been built over the last few seasons and looks really good. They've brought in some signings from last year, like Charlie Molyneux and Ben Fennell this season. But the forward line has been the one that they've not struggled to, but it's taken them a bit of time to to really bed down. But this year, they're they're doing that. So they started off last year by bringing in Tynan Smith. He came up pretty much straight from the under-19s, had an instant impact. And then you look on the weekend, 34 scoring shots, 13-21, 13-21, so they could have converted a lot more and really put the, the sword to Montmorency, but the top scorers that day, Brody Tickle and, and John Desmond, who you wouldn't really pick to be top scorers at all. I mean, they've got lots of great goal kickers, but they'd be long odds to be the top scorers on the day, and they scored three each, which shows that those players are stepping up. Yeah, and Desmond's been great this year. He's just snuck under the radar. Only played one senior game last year. He was best on ground or close to in the Good Friday we night. We, as a radio commentary team, had Charlie Molyneux above him um, in the coaches' votes. I think Desmond got more votes, albeit Molyneux leads the voting after two rounds anyway, um, going into the, the weekend's round three games. But he's been fantastic and, and added the strength to his bow by now kicking goals. Look at the points scored for Greensboro after three rounds. 406. The next best is Heidelberg, 319. So they've scored you know, 87 <laughs> points more than their closest rival. I think, I mean, the, the challenges are going to be greater for them going forward. They've beaten Hurstbridge and, and Lowell Plenty, who were, were ninth in the competition last year in Hurstbridge's case. Lowell Plenty coming up. And now Montmorency side, which is improving, but has a way to go. So yep. the challenges are going to be greater for Greensboro, but all you can do is, is meet the challenges as, as they come forth. And, and what they've done so far is amazingly impressive to have a percentage of 243 in a competition that's been so close for really the best part of, of half a decade well, probably since the dominant era of the, the Heidelberg footy club and for them to you know have scored 400 points already yeah only conceded 160 at, at you know 55 points a game or, or thereabouts I mean they're, they're putting some, something pretty special together Having said that, it is very early in the season. Yeah, and look, they have played, as you said, they have played sort of the lower teams or the lower end uh, on the ladder, but you want to win those games at the start of the season anyway, just to get those, obviously to get the points under the belt, but to also build the the chemistry and the confidence from those wins, and a good start to the season is crucial in any sport, no matter who you're playing, so now they can carry this momentum through to the, I'm sure, the much... uh, trickier fixture they've got lying ahead well coming up this weekend is for them what what would have been their toughest fixture in Meadows Greyhounds Division 1 for the past four years and that's a trip to the Winton Park to play McLeod mm-hmm. but you'd say that Greensboro is going to be the red hot favourite going into that I guess the biggest talking point for me out of the first three rounds and particularly the weekend's games is the form of last year's two grand finalists McLeod and West Preston Lakeside granted both haven't been quite at full strength to start the year, but for them to be sitting eighth and ninth respectively, with you know lowly percentages, it has to be said. McLeod's got a percentage of 67, West Preston a percentage of 59. The, the Roosters, the reigning premiers, average losing margin of seven goals across the opening three rounds. History tells us that at absolute best, the space for only one of them in the five from here since the NFL went to a top five Division One finals competi- uh, series. Sorry. That's been 2010 was the first time that happened. Yeah, only three sides have been Norton three and gone on to play finals. Bandura in 2010, Montmorency in 2011, who didn't enter the top five until round 18 of that season, <laughs> and then Greensboro two years back in 2017 when they actually lost their first five, mm-hmm. and then had that ridiculous run where they're almost the form side going into the final series, but yeah. probably finished too low in the top five to to have any real damage in September, albeit won a final, but. They're both, I mean, McLeod and West Preston, they're Norton 3, 
at their best, you wouldn't put anything past them. But are we getting to a point where at Norton 3, there's only space at absolute best for one of them? And they've got tough games this weekend. They're both at home, but West Preston Lakeside is at home to Bandura, who's playing some pretty good footy. And as we said, McLeod's at home up against the Greensboro side, which is firing on all cylinders. Yeah, well, let, let's allow ourselves let's allow us to get ahead of ourselves for a second. So we're three rounds in, but I'm looking at this ladder going, Greensboro's not missing finals. We're three weeks in, albeit. Northcote Park, for me, aren't missing finals. I don't think North Heidelberg are missing finals. I haven't seen Heidelberg play yet live, but apparently they're in red-hot form. Well, we'll see them this weekend. They're we away will, yeah. to North Heidelberg, but that's the three wins, and that is. And for a side that's won three games, Heidelberg done it really impressively in all yeah. three for mine. Yeah, that's our match of the day this weekend. And then you've got the next sort of bunch. So Bandura, I'm not quite yet sold on, but they've been good. Montmorency, and then you've got Lowell Plenty, McLeod, West Preston, Lakeside. So I reckon of those top four teams... I, I mean, there's sort of two, I mean, at least three of them, I think, are all making finals. And then who do you put in that last spot? I mean, McLeod, do they go in, West Preston? Or is it someone entirely different? Do, does Montmorency suddenly get the wind in their sails? Gary Ramsey leads them and puts them in the finals. I mean, we might have a situation where our two grand finalists from last year don't make finals this season. Would be unheard of, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, to, you look at the ladder, it, it sounds stupid because the ladder is a reflection on, I guess, the competition. Yeah. But if you look at it right now, I reckon it's how it sits is it reads exactly how the form lines have read over the first three, three rounds. But you've got three sides that are undefeated: Greensboro, Heidelberg, and Northcote. I think Greensboro has been the most dominant of those three, and obviously the percentage uh, says that Heidelberg and Northcote have been outstanding in their first three wins. North Heidelberg at two and one in fourth spot, and Bandura in fifth. So they've already now at the top five got at least a game gap and percentage on the rest. Those five have been clearly the best performed sides over the opening three weeks of the season. They all have really healthy percentages as well. And, you know, they've got a, a really good jump on the competition. We thought we spoke about it a week prior saying that this could happen, that the way that the round three games are fixtured, that a gap could emerge. And it's it's done just that with the sides who were probably favoured going into their games getting the win, or, or certainly the sides that had the better form going in got their wins there. But just the way it's structured right now, that, that, that top five, that's probably a great indication as to how the, the top three, uh, top five have, have performed over the first three rounds. I know that fixtures can be skewed and, and some sides have had easier draws than others, but it's, uh, you know, if you looked at it right now, I can't say, I mean, we've got 15 weeks to yeah. try and correct it if we're going to you know, see changes to get to finals. But if you were a betting man, you'd say that five now, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> which side comes out I don't know but they'd be the five that you'd probably want your money on to be playing finals and you mentioned McLeod their fixture this week so the next game's coming up this weekend for those sides McLeod at home to Greensboro and West Preston at home to Bundura so Greensboro the form team Bundura have been great as you said to start the season they've they've uh, gone under a um, a big overhaul of, of squad um, in the off-season, but they're, they're playing great footy. So now you look at a situation where potentially McLeod and West Preston, this time next week, are 0-4. You almost start... I, I don't want to, you know, um, completely write them off a month into the season, but they probably start thinking, geez, is our season gone? Mm, yeah. Which is... Not what you want to be thinking when you're a grand no, finalist. Well, yeah, not especially as you say, playing off in you know for the premiership last year. It's amazing. Some some big games coming up this weekend. Hurstbridge 
is at home to Mont. Now, this one for Hurst Bridge, I mean, they've, they've battled. There's no way of, of you know beating around the bush there. They've only got a percentage of 40. Improvement on the weekend against Northcote Park. That one blew out late. So they've gone down to Northcote on paper comfortably. Uh, final score, 121-64. But we're within 25 points in the last quarter. Northcote finished with a late flurry of goals. But for Hurst Bridge... Is a winnable one, but Mott would be thinking exactly the same. Mm-hmm. They've had you know some some tough games early on in the season. Um, you know, most notably, you know, when you've got McLeod and Greensboro in the in rounds two and three, you'd take one win out of that, which they've done. Probably dropped a you know missed a gettable one in round one, but for Mott, this is a real opportunity. Um, we've already gone through the games that McLeod and West Preston are hosting, but obviously the the big one, North Heidelberg and Heidelberg huge, and then Lower and, and Northcote Park will. There's no doubt the Cougars are going to go in favourite there, but it's a ground that's given them trouble in the past. Montmorency Park South, small oval, very different to what they play on at Bill Laurie, but you know, based on form lines, yeah, you'd think the Cougars there. But there are some games that's really going to provide some some big stories after this weekend. One thing I did like out of last week was the fact that the good players are kicking healthy bags of goals as well. Yeah, Ahmed side. I mean, he, his side is battling, but it has to be commended. He's kicked. Yeah, seven on the weekend, seven of eight against you know against the North Heidelberg side at home. Granted, that's probably one of the main concerns for West Preston. They've only got two yeah, goal well, scorers on the day, but exactly. on an individual note, it's, it's a great effort. He's kicked seven. Shane Harvey's kicked five. Jackson Stasevich another five. It's it's good for the game when when the best players in the forward half are, are kicking big bags of goals. So Sard, despite his side. You know, sitting at the moment in second last position on the ladder is uh, sitting right at the top end in the uh, in the goal kicking stakes. It's, it's a fantastic achievement. Five goals clear of his next uh, biggest rival. So that's a, another good one. But but gee, I'm really looking forward to the games that are coming up this weekend. We've said throughout that. You know, we probably feel on form line that North Heidelberg and, and Heidelberg's the biggest of the lot. I think it deserves to be given where the way the two sides have performed and where they sit on the ladder. We know it's an old rivalry as well that, that stems way back, but going to be huge ones. So we're looking forward to calling that. And I'm sure there's one person in particular who's also looking forward to it. That's the coach of the Heidelberg Football Club, Frank Razzo. He's side three and zip, having beaten some pretty handy sides to start the season. West Preston Lakeside away from home in round one and did what they had to against Hurst Bridge in round two and then hosted McLeod in a big Anzac Day fixture and got a healthy win there as well. So his side's flying. Here's our chat with the coach of the Heidelberg Football Club, Frank Razzo. Frank, great start to the year for your side, three and zip, and a great win over McLeod on Anzac Day. You must be thrilled with how the opening three rounds have gone for your side. Yeah, pretty happy, mate. I've got a mix. Um, you know, if you're going to take three and zip at the start of the year, you definitely take that. Um, oh, look, with all that being said, I don't want to downplay anything, but, you know, we, we, we really think that West Preston were under man in round one. I think they had about six or seven of their main players. Um, as I've said before, um, not playing, um, Garrett, um, Ercolano, uh, Valeri, uh, just to name a couple. Um, I thought the second game we played pretty well against Hurst Bridge. Look, on the weekend again, you know, Hobbs, who I rate, probably in the top three plays in the comp, uh, went down. Doherty went down early. Uh, they weren't, they didn't have Lynch playing. Um, so they, they didn't have O'Brien playing down back. So they, they were pretty undermanned again. So, you know, we're pretty at full strength at the moment. We had a couple of injuries ourselves in the weekend with Dossie going down. But, you know, with all that being said, you know, we're, we're pretty happy to get the, you know, the 12 points so far. Uh, but at the same time, we're, we're fully aware that, 
you know, we've got a really big test the next game in North Heidelberg, and then obviously Greensboro is going really well. So there's still a couple of really hard games, uh, games to really see where we're at. Those sides are a bit weaker than, than what you might have otherwise gotten them, but still, for I guess, a psychological factor, when you look at your, your form line through McLeod over the, probably the past couple of years, probably extending back before your time as well, and you've been soundly beaten last year twice by uh, 80-odd points, but to actually to reverse that and get the win, what does that do for your side mentally going forward now into you know what's a really big patch of matches coming up for you? Yeah, look, that's a great time, and there's no doubt we're taking a lot of confidence, and it's, and it's probably the way we're playing. Um, you know, the first three rounds where you know we'll plus we'll plus very full contested ball in the first game, um, plus eleven tackles in the second game, we'll plus uh, forty-two contested ball, and then we'll plus nine tackles. And then on the weekend, we actually plus uh, 29 contested ball, and I think we have plus 12 tackles. Uh, just just a bit of a starter for us. Um, so that, that was the most pleasing thing. You know, we'll plus extra 75 possessions on the weekend, uh, 55 rounds. So we controlled the ball even in the first two rounds. Uh, round one, I think we had a plus 120 possessions against West Preston, and then plus 80 possessions against Hurstbridge. So we controlled the ball, which we've been doing a lot of work with. Um, in terms of efficiency and effectiveness, our kicking ratio on the weekend, we ran at plus 81%, which is probably our best that I've had. Um, round one, we plus 71% with our kicking efficiency. So we play a fast play on game, and and our efficiency is one thing we're really looking at, and our contested ball tackles. Just just to name a few, but so to, just to go on all that, it's, it's the way we're playing. There's no doubt I'm very pleased with. Um, again, you know, we haven't come up against two best sides, I think, in Greensboro and North Heidelberg yet, so it'll be a good test um, in terms of where they're at. So, uh, yeah, pretty pleased at the moment. I mean, it's a lot's been spoken about some of the, the new players coming into the side again um, on the weekend. Blair, uh, Jack Blair's in the best players once again. He's had a, a great start to, I guess, the, the, I guess his life at Heidelberg. Just the impact players like him and, and Bonadio and, and Co have, have made to your side over the, the opening month of the year. Yeah, absolutely. We, look, we identified our small forwards um, as being an issue last year. We couldn't keep it inside 50. Um, our tackles inside 50 were really low. Our, you know, we had three small forwards for the year. And, and look, to their credit, they're only 18 years old. They're all kids. Um, I think we had 14 goals between three players in last year in terms of our small forwards. So we went out and recruited, you know, Jack Blair, who's a small forward midfield, Bonadio, who's a small forward, and Sammy Wright, who's, who's a really developing kid at the moment, along with Fletch McIver. You know, they're three nippy, tough little kids that are um, obviously fast by, you know, in speed and, and got some goal sense. But the other, you know, the other pleasing thing about it now is we had 11 goal kickers on the weekend. I think we had 9 or 10 last week against First Bridge and I think we had 10 in round 1. So it's just spread. It's not up to Chad Sargent to kick 5 or 6 every week and Sam Grimley to kick 4 or 5. Um, so it's the spread of goal kickers, you know, Benelli, Stone, Ketchum, um, you know, just a name of you have really stepped up just to add to that to that speed and goal kicking as a small forward. 
you mentioned catching in amongst that. He was outstanding in the, the win on Anzac Day. He's been great really throughout the year or since he started playing senior footy. Are you amazed at, I guess, the level that, that players like him and, and obviously Lockie Wilson being your best and fairest last year as well, but you know, still so young, I think both um, still teenagers. Are you amazed by the level in which they're able to perform in, in, you know, in a high-quality Division One competition? Look, sometimes a maze might be a bit of a strong word, but these co- these kids are all under 19 last year. Um, and Will Goss is probably another one as a 19-year-old along with Paddy Dalrocker. And they've, they've just had big pre-season. They're all running. You know, all them kids are named. Ketchum, Honey, Gossy, um, uh, Dalrocker, Lockie Wilson. They're all running under seven minutes of 2K time trial. So they've done the work. In terms of fitness, they're, they're running and they'll fairly elite level uh, and they've all been in the gym you know four times a week for the last six months so they've all got strong so as I said I got interviewed from the Northern City League and um, one of the, the quotes were I think they've just become from, they've come from boys to young men over the last five months but the work they've put in it, it doesn't surprise me because they've really put in the work but at the same time we're definitely happy with the output at the moment you know they've probably they've probably come on a year earlier in some way, the Ketchum, you know, guys, Honey, Lockie Wilson, you know, they're four players that are probably in our ten, top ten players at the moment, and they, you know, some of them guys are not even nineteen yet; they're still driving around P plates. So we're pretty happy, you know, down catching on the weekend, and Honey, our two wingers, they're on our top four best players, so we can't complain. As, I mean, on a on a personal note, to to be part of Anzac Day, obviously the the Heidelberg Footy Club's done it so well over the last couple of years. But to to play on such a you know, a, a sacred day in, in on the Australian calendar, what's it like for yourself to be involved and have such a, a big crowd there for what's a, a pretty special occasion? Oh, look, there's, there's no doubt it's a great, it's an honour, no doubt, to, to the players and the coaching staff and, and just the club in general. But you know, we spoke a little about the Anzacs. It's a great tradition. It's it's obviously a lot bigger than football, but you know, it's always great, great to, you know, just to carry on the tradition and then carry on the stories that go along with Anzac. You know, we spoke about the Anzac. There's over 8,000 people that died for us in Gallipoli over the, you know, in the World War One. So it was a great, great thing for the players that they're playing for. A good crowd, but something that, you know, everyone wants to go and see a good hard contest. And I think we brought the heat, you know, just to, as a tradition, you know, you watch a Conrad Nesting game and, the heat was on all day. It was like a final. And, you know, that's something we wanted to bring. And I think we did. Um, and obviously pretty happy with the wins from that. And uh, one final one, it obviously leads you now into another massive game this week. They all feel like they're big ones at the moment, but you take on North Heidelberg on their paddock. They were one of the sides you, you weren't able to beat last year. It's obviously a great rivalry you have there, but uh, the game you play on Anzac Day is a, a great precursor to, to what's to come this weekend as well. Yeah, I've no doubt. They just keep on coming early, don't they? Um, I think we're going to be playing, you know, arguably the top three sides from last year in the first four rounds in West Preston, um, McLeod and, and North Heidelberg who finished one, two and three. So, look, obviously a tough test. You know, they matched up against us last year. There's no doubt, you know, we've, we've recruited one or two players and three um, that are making a massive impact. But as you said before, the, the development and the improvement of some of our younger kids uh, uh, definitely jumped up. So we're a different side. But, you know, I know that's going to be a great challenge. Uh, one we're looking forward to, no doubt. Well, uh, well done on, on your fast start to the year and uh, and really appreciate your time joining us on the NFNL podcast. No worries. Good on you. 
Jordan, good to hear from Frank Razzo. I feel he's just underselling his side a bit. I know he mentioned that they've played sides who have had you know, players injured either on the day or not available on the day itself, but to still get big wins away from home against West Preston Lakeside, to do what they did against McLeod, they're, they're going under the radar a, a bit, in, a, in a way, I think, uh, to be 3-0 and zero with such a healthy percentage, but... Um, it's, gee, it's a massive one this weekend against North Heidelberg. Yeah, I feel like Heidelberg are the under-the-radar team, to so to speak, even though they are 3-0, probably just because they don't have the same big names that you would see in, in other teams. There's a lot of headliners at Greensboro, at North Heidelberg especially. Heidelberg have brought in sort of a lot of young players. That's been Frankie Rasso's um, MO, so he's brought in the younger guys. So you don't really... There's not as many recognisable names, but they're still playing good football. The match this weekend, North Heidelberg... North Heidelberg, in in my mind, in my sort of subconscious, they don't feel like a two and one team. They feel like a three and zero team. It's probably just because of that that slight slight loss they had to Bundur a few weeks ago. Um, so it feels like, even though it's not, it feels like two undefeated teams because they've been playing such good football. But I'm really keen about sort of the the derby aspect of it, the old rivalry, the Bulldogs and the Tigers. Is this? Do you reckon this is going to be the most heated? rivalry they've had since North Heidelberg have come back up? Yeah, well, for mine, it has to be. It's interesting. When North came back in 2015, they only won two games, and they won away at Heidelberg and away at Montmorency. And I reckon if you said you're only going to win two, (laughs) pick which two, I reckon they'd say that. Last year, they came back and beat Heidelberg convincingly twice. This this time, it feels like both are in it. They've got opportunities this year, absolutely, to, to win a premiership. Mm. Um, North obviously surprised everyone last year, but as they started to build, you, you sense that they were, you know, every chance to win one, whereas Heidelberg, I think at best, was going to, to sneak into the finals and not so much making up numbers. Their form line against the five that, that made finals was pretty good, but I don't think they were ever capable of winning four consecutive finals in a row. But this time around, and, and as you say, both sides playing ripping footy, it's going to, going to be a massive game. Um, yeah, can't wait to, to get out there and, and watch that one at, uh, at Shelley Reserve. Interesting though, one last one before we move into A-plus Labor Solutions Division 2. We talk a lot about Heidelberg and, and the kids, but the players they've brought in, there's some handy talent in amongst that as well. Um, I'm going to get the pronunciation completely muddled on this one, but I'm going to say go with... Uh, Buick Smith or Buck Smith, not too sure, took an absolute hanger on the weekend. Plays footy in, in, in the VFL as well. Uh, we've mentioned Blair and Bonadio a couple of times in this program. Minogue's another one as well. Yeah. Um, you know, one grab player. They've got, they, they've complemented the youngsters in that list with some really, really good talent that's either playing at a higher level at the VFL or, or has played at VFL level as well. So, they're um, yeah, they're doing it nicely at the moment, Heidelberg. So makes this one an, an absolute massive game against you know their old one of their old rivals in in North Heidelberg. Obviously the vicinity of grounds, obviously the big yeah. games that they've <laughs> played in in the past. So this is your yeah, traditional rivalry really reigniting this weekend. So looking forward to that one there. Round three in A plus Labor Solutions Division Two. Uh, again, full games in action. Remarkably, only one Saturday game. Three games were played on Anzac Day. They included Diamond Creek, who were 15 goals, 16, 106 winners over Epping, 8-9, 57. That one a lot closer in the first half, only seven points the difference at halftime. Diamond Creek far too good after the main break. Thomastown and the Fitzroy Stars played just about the pick of the games on Anzac Day. 13 goals, 16-94. Thomastown defeated the Stars, 11 goals, 17-83. 
Fitzroy will probably feel they missed an opportunity to open their account in that one. They had some chances, led for the first three quarters, missed some shots. Thomas Town, full credit to them. Last quarter really turned it on. Daniel Caruso played his best game since joining from the South Morang Footy Club. And then Banyul on the Twilight game on Anzac Day. 22 goals, 19, 151. Far too good for St Mary's. 5 goals, 9, 39. A lot of damage done there also after half time. 13 goals to 3 after the main break. And on Saturday, as you said earlier in the program, Jordan, the match of the day lived up to the billing. Mm-hmm. Eltham, 12, 12, 84. Ran over the top of Whittlesey, 10 goals, 10, 70. Eltham kicking 6 goals to 1 in the last quarter. It's a massive win for Eltham. I think psychologically, you just always wonder about the scars of last year's grand final. I think... Mm-hmm. Obviously, every win they get now just you know starts to just get that further in the back of their mind. But doing it from positions like they did in the weekend as well, I think that's really healthy for them. But what it's also done is it's created a real logjam at the top of the ladder. And if you look at it after three rounds, I know it's a bit skewed because we've got buyers included in the competition as well. We've got six sides that have won two games already after the opening three rounds. So there's only percentage separating first down to sixth. The Fitzroy Stars are seventh, Norton two, but looking like they could really challenge. They've had two close losses to Diamond Creek and Thomastown, who are definitely finals aspirants. And then Epping and St Mary's will, um, at the moment for them, they've obviously got their their work cut out, Norton three. But the weekend results, for mine in particular, the the two big ones, I think Altham and and Thomastown getting wins. Yeah. but obviously we were at the Panthers on, on Saturday and that was pretty remarkable what they managed to do in the last quarter having been outplayed in the opening three. Yeah, I, I was at the, at the three-quarter time break. I was thinking, gee, how do, how do Eltham come back from this? They've only scored six goals up to, to three-quarter time. Whittlesey had a 15-point advantage on them. You were just sort of expecting Whittlesey to, to just carry on that margin because that was the, the way the game had played out. It was about a three-goal margin, but say between 15 and 20 points. Um, pretty much all day through throughout the first three quarters, and and Whittlesey every time Eltham scored a goal or, or maybe scored two in a row, uh, Whittlesey would come back and and put another one on and get that buffer back up. So that was always just ahead by that margin, and then and then the last quarter it totally changed, and Eltham were not moving the ball as fast as they did in the last quarter. So they were... And actually, Robert Winstone, our co-commentator, made a sort of good point, which I liked. They sort of played a bit like Hawthorne Eltham. They just possessed the ball. They chipped it around. They tried to chisel their way into the forward 50 and then hit the hit the big man up front. But the last quarter, they went faster. And Paul King, that was his message at three-quarter time, was take the game on, really try and blitz them at the start. And they did that. They scored two goals in the first four minutes and then another one about three minutes later. So they had three early goals... And they they put the accelerator down, and they just they blew past the Eagles, and what was it six goals to one in that final quarter, and and they they were really impressive, and that goes to show that firstly both sides are going to be really good um, this season, but it also shows to me that Eltham very undermanned. All three of the main Curry boys are out. There was a couple of others that were not playing either. Tom Rogers still that ACL injury. Uh, we haven't seen anything from Adam Oxley yet, who is the uh, the big name signing, but. So you look at that squad from Eltham and think, gee, they're a bit undermanned, but even with an undermanned outfit, they came back and they beat a Whittlesea team who were competitive all day. It's a big game for them this weekend in the uh, game at home to the Fitzroy Stars. I looked at the, the VFL fixture. Collingwood has the bye. You almost wonder whether Oxley's a chance this weekend. It'd be interesting. Obviously, he's got those commitments with Collingwood that'll come first, but that could be a big one that they, they bring into the side if, if, that's, if that's the case. It's remarkable to have six sides with two wins. Obviously, there's two of those who were undefeated, Banyul and also Watsonia. They actually play each other 
this weekend. I think both are two and zero. Without wanting to sound disrespectful to Watsonia, I think Banyul's probably the side that teams are chasing at the moment. They've set the benchmark in their opening two two wins of the season. Far too good for Altham in round one, and then really flex their muscle on Anzac Day with that massive win against St Mary's. Um, yeah, it, 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 can you see there being a logjam as, as the year goes on yeah. for, for those spots in the top four? Banyul, that was the sort of game on the weekend that you'd expect James Crisaratus to just kick a bag, and he only scored two, but he had his teammates yeah. score bags of their own. Lovell had four, Johnson four, Jack Langford had three. That's Is that more worrying for opposition? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I mean, James Crisaratus is one of the hardest players to, to mark uh, in probably the, the entire competition across all three divisions. He's a mid-sized forward but marks really well in the air and he only scored two goals and now you're getting contribution from from other angles. That is a worry and that's um, probably why Banyul are looking like the real deal this season to, to be the Premiership favourites. Um, uh, Watsonia, look, we probably... I, I really hope that they have a great season. They can carry this on but on the balance of things, you probably expect them to just tail off a little bit at some point. Well, their two wins are against the sides that sit currently at the bottom of the ladder. Oh, there you go. But having said that, they only won one game last year, and I've been impressed with the style of footy they're playing as well. So yeah. I think they're realistic. They understand where they sit at the moment. But if they could you know, cause an upset this weekend, well, then, gee, it opens up everything, doesn't it, as well? So um, you know, they couldn't have asked for a better start. You just kind of hope that having consecutive weeks off doesn't, you know, just hurt that momentum a bit. Obviously, Easter then followed by a bye. Not ideal, unfortunately, in a competition where there's uneven numbers. That's going to happen whenever you have a, an Easter weekend or Queen's birthday, whatever it might be. There's going to be sides that have either two weeks off, you know, leading into the break mm-hmm. or the, the long weekend or, or leading out of it as well. But, um, you know, I, I really hope that they can, you know, you know, do you know, you know, almost pull off the upset and, uh, without wanting to, to pick a favourite or anything like that. But if they could, gee, it opens up the competition. And Division Two often provides that. Division Two, there's always a team or maybe two teams who who pick off the upsets throughout the season. Last year it was Epping who got I think six wins last year and and beat some really highly fancy teams. Watsonia could well be that side this season and just disrupt the status quo a little bit. Um, but then to go just on our last point, I think Fitzroy stars. So on top of Eltham and that game on the Saturday being one of the, the main talking points, I think the Thomastown Fitzroy Stars game was as well, but not not necessarily for the Bears' sake, even though it was a great win, but probably for the Stars because this is a season where they have brought a lot of players back. Um, we've we've sort of put a bit more expectation on them this season than than what we had last year. We're expecting them to win games, and they almost had that one, but they they sort of squandered it at the end. Yeah, well, you look at their two results combined, they've lost by 25 points, so they'll be so frustrated to not get a win, and especially, as we say, because there are so many sides that would think that they're top four quality this year. Mm-hmm. They've lost to Diamond Creek and Thomastown, who, you know, those you know same sides are competing for, for that top four spot against, so they've got to play some catch-up now, but they would travel to Eltham this weekend, and this time last year, we'd be... You know, saying Eltham by how much, whereas this time around you would say that the Stars certainly don't travel without a, you know, without a hope. I think they've got every opportunity playing their best footy. And Eltham showed at the weekend, you, you've mentioned it there, they've got a vulnerability. They haven't got their absolute best side out in the park. And you know, if Whittlesey maybe had you know, taken some earlier chances, then maybe they, they go on and win that game of footy. But uh, that would give the Stars hope. But you almost feel that for the Stars you now, they need to, to claim the scalp, don't they? Because... Norton three is going to be a long way to come back from with some other sides around them already getting some, you know, some some head starts on them. You know, two games clear at, at the moment as it, as it stands. So this weekend's action, we've mentioned the fact that Watsonia 
plays at home to Banyul, Eltham at home to the Fitzroy Stars. Whittlesea will go in as, as the warm favourite against St Mary's. We talked about in, in Meadows Greyhounds Division 1 that it hasn't been a kind start to 2019 for the sides that played in grand finals. There's probably all the reigning premiers that have battled. I think for St Mary's, I'm surprised with how much they've struggled in going up and it hasn't helped having some key players not in the side, but for, for a side that was really dominant in third division last year, kept a very strong core of that side together to have a percentage below 40 probably surprises me to be perfectly honest it's actually very rare that the Division 3 Premier struggles in Division 2 normally they have a pretty good record yeah well there's no relegation this year but no side had ever been relegated or even finished bottom that's won that Div 3 flag to, yeah. to then go up but there's still plenty of time to, to correct things they'll have fond memories of their last trip to the showgrounds. Can that spark something? Obviously, we saw Widdersey at the weekend and their top-line players are in really good form. I mean, Xavier DeMarcy was, you know, by the length of the Flemington straight, the best player on the ground up until three-quarter time. Yep. I thought Nathan Stefanol played a good game, Jaron Murphy as well. So you feel that the top end of Whittlesey, if they're at their best, would, would be enough to, to take them past St Mary's. But you don't take anything for granted in what's looking to be a really even competition. And then the other huge game, Jordan, is being played at Main Street Recreation Reserve. It's Thomastown against Diamond Creek. Fourth versus fifth. Diamond Creek's in fourth. Thomastown's in fifth. I don't think either side would need reminding of the last time they played each other where at the same venue, round mm. 18 last year, it was Thomas Town right. in fourth, <laughs> Diamond right. Creek in fifth, and uh, Diamond Creek looked like playing finals, led by eight goals, had to win by more than two, and uh, ended up getting the points, but only by, I think it was three or four points, less than a goal as yeah. it was, so the side that lost was celebrating at the end of the game, <laughs> Thomas Town making finals. Oh, I'd be very surprised if that wasn't brought up. I know coaches say that they're always looking forward, but uh, gee, if you needed just an extra bit of motivation, as if it's not already enough to say this win this weekend could set up our season, you know, the winner's going to go three and one, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you surely, that, that gets brought up around Coventry Oval this yeah. weekend. Yeah, normally, I mean, they Players and coaches don't often talk about previous matchups because it's always a, you know, a different year, fresh start, whatever, new players. But when you look at it, that game was only four matches ago for these for these sides, so it was recent. Yeah. Um. And it's and it is a it it's an early, it's an early sort of benchmark game, I suppose, or a, or a, a splitter game, I guess. Like it's a game where these two sides will split one way or the other. So whoever wins, you don't want to read too much into just one game in an eighteen game season but this could be the one that you know whoever wins might stay on top of the other for for the rest of the year so it's if, the, if Thomastown wins they could be above the Creekers for most of the year if it's the other way around then you know it's your traditional eight point match isn't it yeah. really? it, it yeah. really is so that's an absolute massive one I guess a point of note is this fixture last year brought together two of the competition's best Ruckman Dylan Chapman and Josh Marchbank. Both didn't play. Marchbank injured in round two. It's been a concern for Diamond Creek. They've lost some pretty good players in the opening uh, part of the year. Tom Bennett came across to them in their best in round one, but, but picked up an injury. Marchbank as well. Uh, and then for Thomastown, obviously, Chapman didn't play on, on Anzac Day as well. So yeah, whether that plays significance or whether Chapman comes back this week as well. But um, yeah, you want to see the best players out there. It's been a shame that we've lost a, a couple. And, and even at Whittlesey, you know, see you know, Riley Dyson injured early in, in the season as well. Clancy Bland didn't play at the weekend. We've mentioned those, uh, you know, almost a quartet of the Altham side as well. So hopefully those players can, can get back in because it's already looking like a great competition and you want to see the absolute best players out there as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's been a, it's almost been a 
bit of a plague on the NFNL this season. We've lost a couple of big-name players, haven't we? Yeah, hoping that the injury gods look after us going forward. Yeah. We'll take a short break. On the other side of this, we'll take a look at the weekend that was in Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3. The Meadows Conference and Events Centre offers a range of conference opportunities for your next event. Whether it be an end-of-year work party, the next conference, or even a funeral or wake, The Meadows can host any event. To find out more info, head to themeadowsevents.com.au. A look now to Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3, and before we look forward, we'll have a look back over the results from Round 3. It all started on Anzac Day. Reservoir 12 goals, 8-80 faded in their defeat to Laylor. 22 goals, 14-146. Lorimer just escaped with its third successive win. They were 15 goals, 13-103, defeating Mernda, 14-15-99, a four-point thriller on Anzac Day. Old Altham Collegians returned from a, a two-week hiatus, nearly, very nearly got their first win since joining the NFNL. Five goals, 12-42, went down to Kilmore, 8-7-55, and one of the great comebacks at Mill Park Lakes Reserve, where South Rang, 14-7-91, were overrun by Heidelberg West, 14 goals, 12-96. Jordan, looking back at the four games, all of them have, a, I guess, something of, of interest to, to come out of them. Obviously, Laylor did it well over Reservoir, but great to see the Bloods kicking such a healthy score, 22 goals. Sam Rexepi kicked seven, Spencer Christopher five, and Jackson Freeban four. I mean, they were kicking you know, totals of four or five goals last year to kick 22, a, a great effort. Disappointing for, for Reservoir. Started promisingly, led early, but we weren't able to go with the Bloods over over the resulting three quarters. Obviously, plenty to talk about from La- Lorimer and Mernda, where Mernda trailed by five goals in the last quarter, hit the front only to be beaten by a goal late from Justin Sherman. Obviously, Old Eltham very nearly getting a win, but Kilmore doing what it had to in the end, and and then Heidelberg West, well, one of their best wins in, in recent memory, going to South Morang and coming away with the four points. Yeah, plenty to talk about. Um, I suppose a quick word on, on Reservoir Layla. We, we sort of expect these teams to be down the bottom ends of, of the table, but at the same time, we also expect Layla a lot of um, a lot of imp- um, improvement from them this year. New coach Gary Cutler, who's sort of done the job at a few teams now, trying to overhaul the lists, and we're seeing the results at his old club, Heidelberg West, continuing on this year. Um, but Layla, I suppose, 22-15-147, you wouldn't have wouldn't have expected that scoreline from them last year. So good that they've done that this time around against Reservoir, who um, who still. Um, probably a, a bit of a way to go, maybe a year or two before they really start competing, but but they are playing better football. And that was the message from, from Anzac Day, is that um, they're playing a lot better than last year. They, there is clear improvement there from, from the Mustangs, which is really promising to see. So, um, you know, it's only been maybe, you know, a year of them being down and out, and this year they're going to start putting some games together, which is promising. Um, Laura Mamurnda, that was the game, though, on, on Anzac Day. Um and Justin Sherman as well, who we'll hear from in a second, um, scoring the the late uh, late winner, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You you kind of wonder whether they just thought they'd done enough, and, and they were two and zero going in. Mernda hadn't won a game, but you know five goals clear in the last quarter, and to come from behind. I mean, it's one of those games. It was a great. There was a great quote from. Um, uh, Paul Derrick, the coach of Mernder afterwards, and, and just said, um, I, c- I can't remember it word for word, but it was mentioned in an article with leader uh, local footy, and just said, like, yeah, that, it's along the lines of, you know, that, that's footy in a way, like you play your best game and, and you still don't win, and they yeah. probably play that, put that performance in against any other side, they probably get the, their first win of the season, um, albeit it, it just came that, that fraction too late, having to overhaul such a a big deficit. Um, Kilmore liking the way they're starting to build. Jackson Kinnear kicked six in, in their win over Old Altham, who actually led 
uh, in during the second half of that game and, and looked like potentially being on on route to their first win. But but Kilmore starting like you look at you know this time two two even maybe three years ago that would they have known how to, to win that game of footy coming from behind in the second half? But they're showing that maturity now uh, at the Kilmore Footy Club and and you know getting the, the wins next to their names. Um, you know that, that's a really important one if they're going to play finals. They're the games that you have to bank early in the season and and they've done just that now to actually sit in fourth spot on the ladder after three rounds and and as we've we've spoken about a few times throughout the the program as well Heidelberg West I mean outstanding win Kyle Hewitt kicks six Jack Maris five and they've you know, overhauled the Lions, kicking seven of the last nine goals to to win. Ben Fogarty, one of the new players coming into the side, had a, a massive impact you know, in that game there. And we said at the start of the year, we thought that they could be pushing for finals. We thought that they'd be in a similar position to the likes of the Kilmores, South Morangs and, and whatnot of the competition, even a Mernda, to get a win in against one of those opposition. Massive for the Hawks. They're undefeated after three starts. Shown so much improvement in the last two years, but Worth noting that at this time last year they were Norton three. It's a heck of a lot easier from three and zero than it's got, it was last year when you're Norton three. So they've still got plenty of work to do, but to sit second on the ladder uh, is is a great achievement for them at, at this early stage of the year. But plenty of of work coming up ahead. Big game for them this weekend because they take on Laylor and Laylor have played you know two games that they won and won an impressive win at the weekend. weren't too bad against Lorimer. I know it ended up blowing out late, but. Um, you know the Hawks will go in his favour, but mm. by no stretch can they can they take that one for granted. So that would be a big one, and, and obviously the added spice coming up against their former coach as well in Gary Cutler. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean Heidelberg West, they might be setting themselves a higher benchmark with these wins at the start of the season. Now we'll probably probably be expecting a lot more from them as the year rolls on if they keep these results going on. It looks like. Um, Panton Hill are going to be right up there, obviously, in, in premiership contention. Lorimer have sort of seen their opportunity to get a jump on the rest of the competition. They're doing that, and Heidelberg West might be doing the same now as well. Having Cole Hewitt back as well full-time this season is is a massive plus for them. He Huge. joined them, what, halfway through last season? Yeah. Played ca- reserves? Yeah, came back. I think it, was, it might have even been yeah, prior to that, and then, yeah, you're right, played, played, actually played in the reserves grand final last year. So, yeah. um, great hands. Relatively good kick at goal as well, so gives them a focal point going forward. Six goals, Jack Maris five, as you said earlier. Um, yeah, these are the games that, that the Hawks um, need to be winning, but these are also the games that the Hawks were a long way from winning only a couple of years ago. So not only is the story of, of Heidelberg West's 2019 season great, but when you put it into context of where they were you know, five years ago, it's it's even better for them. So hmm. it's just it's promising and it's it's sort of heartwarming to see the... The, the, the transformation of a club and, and now they're, they're right in it. And two other games where sides will be desperate for wins uh, because of their position on the ladder is one at Mill Park Lakes Reserve where South Morang plays Old Eltham. South Morang's now lost its last two. Obviously had a heavy loss in round two against Panton Hill. Looked like they were going to respond at the weekend but um, probably suffered greater heartbreak when, you, when you're that far in front and, and then don't get the result as well. So uh, being you know 26 points up in the third quarter. So they've got a point to prove against Old Eltham. You, you'd think that the Lions are going to go in as favourite, particularly at home, but Old Eltham just showed a bit at the weekend as well. So Yeah, they weren't bad, the Turtles, on the weekend. I mean, considering they got sort of crushed in their first game yeah. against Panton Hill, this is only their second game of of the season. They actually did pretty well to be right in there, right up until the last quarter even. More scoring shots as well in that one they had than Kilmore. Yeah. 5-12, never really going to be all that helpful. And then it's an equal equal scenario over at Waterview Recreation Reserve where both Mernder and Reservoir are, 
a winless to this point of the season. Um, Mernda, if they, you know, they're Norton three, played their best game of the footy uh, of footy at the weekend. If they replicated that, you'd expect them to get past Reservoir. But worth noting that Reservoir at this venue last year was in front going into the last quarter. So, um, you know, they're. They're obviously still a bit on the end of some some heavy defeats, but shown great improvement based off last year. So, um, you, you know, they were not 18 last year. I really feel that they'll get wins throughout the course of this year once that side, you know, starts gelling together as well. So they'll see this perhaps as another opportunity to to win a game of footy and break that long losing streak. But the pick of the bunch this weekend, there's no doubt about it. It's a twilight game. It's out at A.E. Cracknell Reserve. It's Panton Hill up against Lorimer. Last year's grand finalists coming up against the current side that's first on the ladder that really was, was building going into last year's final series as well. It's, I guess, the the, uh, the former champion uh, up against the the up-and-comer, or I guess, in, in some descript. I know Heidelberg West sits in between both on the ladder as well as it currently stands, but for mine... Panton Hill and Lorimer are the two sides that I have at the uh, the top of the billing so far in Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3. One of them's going to remain undefeated. The winner, for mine, takes premiership favouritism at this very early stage of the season. Yeah, there, there's a, a marquee game in each division coming up this weekend, and, and this is certainly that one in, in Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3, the Redbacks and, and Lorimer. Um, we're going to hear from Justin Sherman in, in a second, um, been privy enough to listen to this interview before it goes to air, Samuel, so I know what he talks about, but mm. we won't give too much away, but he um, he does talk about the the forward line and, and the players they've brought in, and I feel like for Lorimer, they've, re- they've recruited really well. Um, they've brought in players who um, just suit the team, they suit what they need, and I don't, th- I feel like recruiting in Division 3 is probably, it's a different kettle of fish than recruiting in, in Division 1. So Division 1, you bring in players and it's 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 marginal because every team's good and every team's right up there. So you bring in a player or two and it changes the team to a certain degree. Whereas Lorimer in Division 3, not saying it's easy to recruit in Division 3, but players can have a bigger impact quicker. And that's what Lorimer have done. They've brought in players over the last year or two who have had a major impact. And a lot of those players have been from the forward line. And then you add in the fact that Justin Sherman is now the playing coach and that just adds that X factor, which is changing games for them. We, you, you, I think you spot on, and I think you, the, the big names have the bigger impact in, in Division Three. Obviously, the, probably the gap between the better players and the lesser ones is greater. But you see that also at Panton Hill, who last year brought Reese Borden in, you know, tops the goal kicking. Um, you know, Brett Ryan had a massive impact there. Mm-hmm. They're on ballers over the years. You know, Conti Fowler's those kind of players, huge impact. Nick Parks came from Diamond Creek last year, won the club best and fairest, and, and now Joel McClellan coming in as well. You know, 10 coaches votes in the first game he played in round two. It's, it has all the billing of, of a game that we might be seeing down at the uh, the pointy end of the, of the yeah. season as well. So this is a massive one, and we're fortunate enough to have a chat with the coach of Lorimer, Justin Sherman, following his side's Anzac. They win over Mernda, also looking ahead to this week's Near top of the table clash where Lorimer at 3-0 and zero takes on Panton Hill who are 2-0, the Twilight game at AE Cracknell Reserve. Here's Justin Sherman. Justin, congratulations on the start of the year. Three and zip, albeit a bit of a scare in the Anzac Day game, just getting across the line over Mernda. What have you made of, of the first three weeks and in particular that, that win on Anzac Day by four points? Yeah, no, obviously, obviously we're um, you know, delighted to have a three and zip start first and foremost. I mean, we... We remember this time last year pretty pretty critically. We were zipping three. I hadn't won a game, and, and it was my first season as coach. And uh, I just remember, you know, not you know not panicking, and um, and, and we weren't too far away. And, and and 
you know, we went up to Kilmore and, and got a win away at Kilmore, and that just ignited the season from them. We went on onto a bit of a streak. So, you know, it's it's funny how footy can change week to week and year to year. And obviously, we we spoke on over the off season about um, about starting better this year and and not having to chase um, too many games down like we did last year. And um, um, and we're able to you know win the first three games, which is really which is great for our footy club, but. You know, first and foremost, obviously, you know, the, the day yesterday on, on Anzac Day was, was amazing. You know, the club, you know, for, for our footy club, for the community, for, for Mernda, who we've got a uh, great rivalry against. And, you know, it was, a, it was a great spectacle, I thought. It was great to be a part of it out there with the boys. And, and to, you know, uh, to hang on in the end, I, I don't, didn't think we played our best footy on the day, but sometimes you've got to um, scrounge out wins, um, Sammy, and, and we, certainly, we certainly did that. Um, so yeah, very happy to get the win, but yeah, could have went either way there in the end. But you know, to, uh, for you know, for them to you know kick five or six goals in the last quarter, you know, we certainly got to get back to the drawing board and you know review that next Tuesday in depth and just go through ways we can improve and work work, work through that. And I think that's the exciting thing at the moment. We still haven't played for you know close to four uh, quarters of good footy at the moment. So you know we're uh, under no illusions. We've got to continue to improve to. To be a good side, and then that's um, and that's also a, a good reflection on where the competition's at at the moment. I think it's pretty even. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a really good time to be a part of the Northern Footy League at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the, the win so far obviously knocked over Reservoir and, and Laylor in the opening two games. Now, Mernda, three sides who haven't played uh, or didn't play finals last year. But at the same time, for you guys, you've come into this year with, I guess, more expectation on you, hence probably a bit more pressure. Is, is it a sign of the maturity of the side that you've been able to now win those three games and, and really set a, a good platform for the year ahead? Yeah, I think so, mate. I think, I think getting games a lot into our younger players last year was critical. Um, and we... We didn't waver from developing our, our juniors because I mean we've we've got we've got juniors coming through. I think we're one of the largest junior bases going around. So we knew we had a lot of junior talent there. Uh, certainly when I when I took the job, I knew what was underneath. And 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 you know, wise people say you're only as good as your junior development and the juniors coming through. And we certainly got got that in numbers. And and then it, and then it comes down to um, the coaches and and how well we are in terms of developing our players and. And, and it, it just really helps when uh, kids want to listen and learn. And I, th- I really generally feel around our footy club that our uh, our boys are just there for the right reasons. They want to learn. They want to get better. And they're always asking uh, questions, which which is really helpful being a coach because I mean you don't have to uh, you know preach anything. You just you can you can be a mate to these kids and more be a mentor than a coach. And and that's sort of sort of where I find myself at the moment. It's a really good position for our club to be in. And, and then the exposure that those younger kids got last year has only really elevated them this year when when they're probably not as nervous heading into this year, obviously playing a lot of games last year. And, um, you know, nerves are, nerves are pretty natural in today's game. But, I mean, if you the more, more games of footy you play and the more exposure you get to senior footy, the, the better things are going, going to be long-term. So, um, yeah, we, we got a lot, of, a lot of games into our younger players last year and, Obviously, with the guys we've recruited, um, with Kieran Sheen and Jolie Regan and some 28, 29-year-old uh, wise footy heads that have been around and played a lot of footy. So, you know, I really feel, feel like now we've got a good balance across the park in terms of leaders in every area and, and a really good balance between sort of younger, middle-tier and, and senior players, which is which is what we 
what we wanted off the back end of last year. In terms, on, I guess on a personal note, you've obviously um, returned to the playing as well, so your, your coaching role also includes obviously um, being out there on the field with the players as well. How have you found that change as opposed to, say, last year in your first year as coach when, when you were purely coaching from the sidelines? Yeah, it's been it's, it's actually been a bit more refreshing and been a bit more relaxing, I think, um, for me personally. Like last year, being first year at a club, there's a lot to do. I think you're wearing um, um, too many hats at times, um, trying to do too many things, and 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 that was the uh, you know that that was the area that we sat down last year as a uh, committee and myself, and we went over things that you know we're all doing well, and and we got some um, you know constructive feedback, all of us, some things we we could uh, improve on for next year and, and, and one of those things, um, you know, uh, for the footy club to move forward was to make sure that we're all playing our role um, and whether that's on the field, it's not just on the field, it's off the field. So that goes to all the committee members to ensure that every role was filled on game day so we can get the results that we're after. And and, um, and, and I certainly looked at it, um, uh, you know, I didn't even think about playing until I sort of got back this year and um, with the way the, the team shaped up, it's, Sort of a, uh, it was a good opportunity for me to have more of an on-field um, leadership um, role, I guess, a little bit more this year rather than from the bench. Um, and I just generally feel like, you know, if I can have some involvement on those younger players and set them up around stoppages and just have a little bit more input with my voice um, and be a bit more direct and a bit more quicker um, with my uh, responses, then, um, then hopefully we might... Um, um, get a faster result rather than waiting to quarter time, half time to address it. So that's where um, you know our other coaches have stepped up, and we've got a really good um, coaching group um, down at our club that allows me to do that. So I'm, as I said, I'm pretty grateful to have good coaches around me that allow me to be in the position I am now, which is getting back out in the playing field with the boys, which is. Um, which is which is exciting. The forward line seems to be functioning really well. I guess you've got a you know great spread of goal kickers. Josh Williamson you know leads the, the comp goal kicking with 15. Dallas King and, and Jackson Cecil are, you know around that that eight nine goal mark as well. You must be really happy with how those three are, are working together inside 50. Yeah, they're, 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 we've got a really close knit forward line, especially those three boys. They spend a lot of time with each other week to week, practicing their goal kicking, their craft, and um, talking about things that. You know, they need to improve week to week. And uh, they're, they're, they're three sensational individuals as well. I mean, you know, Josh is always looking to better his game. You know, he's, he sets high expectations for himself. He's obviously played state league footy in Tassie, and, um, which is a good thing. Um, but he needs to, you know, also learn how to balance that and, um, and, channel, and channel that in the right way to get the best out of himself every week. And, and then obviously with Dallas, he's obviously played a lot of footy and, um, and, and just a really smart... Um, sort of senior experience, um, sort of footy player, and um, and and then Sess, like he, he's, he's just a he's a really good character. Over in a club, part of our leadership group, and the ability to you know keep um, creating a contest for us is critical. And he certainly gives us that every week and brings our smalls into the game. So you know, and then obviously you you add um, young Braden Gardner. We got across from from Mernda, who had a standout game against Laylor at Laylor last game, and got best on field for us as a 17, 18 year old who. Um, played in our forward line this week who we've got really exciting future and um, really exciting expectations for going going forward and um, then Jolie Regan through there and, and obviously um, myself and um, a few of the other guys it's um, yeah the, the depth through the forward line seems a bit stronger this year which is which is what we wanted I, I think and I think we've achieved that but I, I think I, I just really love our defense I think I think um, if you look down there like between 
you know, two of our guys that finished in our top three in, in young Jake Richards and Bryce Codis, I think are going to be the future leaders of our club. Um, and we wanted to build around them and then obviously adding, you know, Marky Muir and um, and then, you know, we know what uh, um, um, William Ratchie can do at fullback. So he's a, he's a good lockdown defender. And um, so, yeah, we just feel like we've got a good balance over, over the three lines now, mate, which, um, which hopefully gives us the best chance to be there um, close towards the end of the year. Well, uh, one side that's probably got similar ambitions to you is the Panton Hill Footy Club, who you take on next in round four. It's obviously a, a massive game for, for both clubs, both going undefeated. Yep. Panton Hill coming off, I guess, an extended break with a bye directly after Easter, but that's a, a massive game coming up, taking on last year's grand finalists on their home deck in round four. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It doesn't get any bigger, so you know there's going to be... Unfortunately, one loser out of it. Um, you know, we're uh, we're going to face it sometime, and obviously, you know, it's uh, a really good, really good time to face each other. I mean, both teams are in in relatively good form, and you know, Penton Hill's probably the benchmark. Um, you know, they're the team um, most teams are trying to chase down at this stage, and and uh, you know, you know, to be the best, sometimes you've got to beat the best, and, and, and we're under no illusions that Penton Hill are a very, very good side. We've got a lot of respect for them. Um, and the way they've gone about, and then obviously um, adding, um, you know, um, Joey McLennan and um, you know Nathan Hendry into their lineup, which adds a bit of uh, seniority back in their uh, in their team as well. So you know we're under no illusions; we're going to be have to be at the best of our abilities to beat Pant Hill on their home deck, and they play their ground very smartly, and it's a uh, smaller ground as well compared to ours. So you know it's just about. Um, you know, I think it, I think the game's going to come down to mate who can play the uh, ball more in their forward half and win contested footy. I think whoever wins contested footy battle and plays it in their half, I think it's going to go a long way to winning the game. So, um, so yeah, we'll we'll go back to the drawing board and um, have a look at Tuesday's review and then uh, yeah, get stuck into Penton Hill and um, and and hopefully it's going to be a uh, another good um, you know clash for the for the community as well. I mean, it's a twilight game. We're really looking forward to it. It's, um, I think, our first twilight game that we've had on the fixture since I've been there. So, again, another um, another great um, uh, fixture, you know, to be a part of, which is which is exciting. Well, uh, good luck in the game. Well done on, on your start to the year, and we really appreciate your time joining us on the NFL podcast. No worries. Thanks, Sammy. That's certainly going to be a massive game at AE Cracknell Reserve. Lorimer up against Panton Hill. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the point about that Justin Sherman just spoke about, about being the player coach on the field as well. It is, I've never really thought about sort of what the impact of a player coach is on the field or how it works and how they get the message across. Normally you think, well, if a coach is on the sideline, there's a lot more discussing with his assistant coaches and lots of sort of in-depth planning. Whereas on the field, you probably don't have that sort of same um, level of being able to to sort of think about the game because you're in a certain spot. You're not watching the field as a whole, especially for a player like Justin Sherman who's probably in the clinches most of the time. But but it, it is a good point about being that on-field coach and being able to change things on the fly rather than having to wait until the end of each quarter. So it's probably... It's a different dynamic. It's one that I haven't thought about too much, but it, he, he raises a lot of good points there and gives us a bit of an insight as well as to what it's like to be an on-coach, uh, on-field coach. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Eastside, it's the litmus test, isn't it, in, in Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3, Panton Hill away from home. We saw what they did to South Brang only a couple of weeks ago. So Lorimer 
Um, certainly a massive game for them early in their development as a senior football club. Round two completed also in the NFNL women's, of course, still grading over, over the first four rounds. Heidelberg on the weekend, uh, well, they won their first game convincingly, but beaten by VU Western Spurs two on Anzac Day. Two goals, 4-16 to VU, seven goals, 11-53. VU Western Spurs actually com- completed a clean sweep at the weekend because their third side went to Montmorency Park and recorded a win over Monty two. Zero goals, two, two to five goals, five, 35. And their top build side at V Western Spurs also at Montmorency Park on Sunday uh, got a result. One goal, four, 10 Montmorency to V Western Spurs, five, seven, 37. Both the Darabin sides got wins. The Darabin one side went over to West Preston Lakeside and scored a 10, seven, 67 to one goal, three, nine victory. While the second side were able to keep Lorimer scoreless in a six goal, four, 40 to zero win at Lorimer Reserve. Elsewhere, uh, wins for Diamond Creek Women's 2. Uh, they defeated Mernda, 7 goals, 12-54, 2-1 behind. As we said earlier in the program, Reservoir went to Ben Freelay Reserve and scored a 5-12-42 to 3 goals, 7-25 win over Hurstbridge. Greensboro at 2-2-14, lost at home to South Morang, 5-14-44. And also Diamond Creek Women's 1 got a very big victory over Bendigo Thunder, 9 goals, 8-62 to 1 goal, 0-6. And rounding out the results, we also saw St Mary's go to Wallen and pick up a 6-14-50 to 1 goal, 4-10 win over the Magpies, while Bandura still undefeated in women's footy. They scored a 7-goal, 10-52 victory over Altham, 0 goals, 1-1. Bandura also unfilled its premiership flag ahead of uh, before that game there, so they remain undefeated after two rounds. Jordan Canales, big weekend right around the Northern Football Netball League coming up. But one of the uh, key points of the round is that it is the 2019 com- Community Umpiring Week. Uh, this weekend, we acknowledge the, the key role that umpires play in our game, as we always hear. Without umpires, we don't have a game. Um, and the objective also, as part of the round, it's around obviously respecting umpires, but also just increasing awareness for, for former players and, and, and those who aren't playing the game that you know umpiring is a, is a great alternative to, to stay fit, you know, get paid, keep, keep involved in the game as well. There's some great initiatives going on with some younger umpires uh, getting the opportunity to go to umpire training. We'll also have AFL umpires attending our training at, at Barling Park um, and, and also just simple things like the, the head coach of every team this weekend being encouraged to go to the uh, the coin toss prior to the game and shake hands with the umpires, with the captains as well. So obviously we, we know the, the important role that umpires play in our game and in closing this week's edition of the NFNL podcast, we caught up with the umpire director at the Northern Football Netball League, Martin Ellis, and he just gave us an insight into what exactly entails community umpiring week in the Northern Football Netball League. Marty, a big week for the umpiring community. Obviously, it is AFL Community Umpiring Week. Can you just give us, I guess, a rundown of, of the objective of the week and, and I guess the importance for the umpiring fraternity? Thanks, Samuel. Uh, yes, the objective of the week is to sort of bridge the gap between uh, community umpires and the AFL broader umpiring community where AFL umpires will integrate with community football umpires and their local leagues and take on coaching and training skills uh, from their elite level and transition them into our community level as well. Uh, There, uh, the young umpires can ask questions about career pathways, uh, what it's like to be an AFL umpire, 
uh, the type of money they earn, uh, the type of commitment uh, it requires, um, how they got to the level they got to, and it just sort of builds a relationship between uh, community umpiring and the AFL. Obviously, there's some, some great initiatives out there. There'll be uh, field umpires, Matt Nichols and, and also Brent Wallace, along with uh, boundary umpires, Damien Cusack and, and Mitchell uh, Laferve coming out to NFNL umpire training this week. There's also a group of NFNL umpires who are going to the AFL training. Um, you know, what impact does that have for, for a young umpire to be able to be exposed to, to that kind of initiative? Oh, first, when we uh, when we threw the line out to expressions of interest who would like to go to uh, uh, be part of the actual AFL experience with official AFL coaching and training, uh, the response was enormous. So there was plenty of interest, and uh, we rewarded those young umpires who commit to uh, community umpiring training and uh, who have a strong desire to you know, pursue their. Uh, umpiring at a higher level and uh, follow career path potentially and they attend training regularly and obviously they umpire our matches on the weekend so uh, six young umpires uh, from all three disciplines Phil, Boundary and Goal will visit uh, Icon Park tonight and join uh, the elite uh, AFL field Boundary and Goal umpires as part of their training and then the heads of their departments, uh, like, for example, Hayden Kennedy, he'll take the field umpires and uh, introduce them to the field umpiring squad and on an official uh, coaching session inside the uh, inside the coaching facilities at Icon Park in Carlton. Um, it goes for about uh, three hours, the experience, and uh, it takes on um, a bit of physical training and also a little bit of uh, learned education training uh, inside the uh, seminar rooms as well. It can often be taken for granted how, how fortunate we are here at the, the NFNL, obviously the, the hard work of, of yourself and, and support staff around you as well, but to be able to provide a full complement of field boundary and goal umpires to all senior men's and women's competitions, reserves, under-19s as well, and to also have field umpires right throughout the, the junior competition. Can you just give us an insight into, I guess, the amount of work that goes into, one, getting the, the numbers uh, of umpires that we have, but then also training them to be competent of what they're doing well i think it's a holistic approach you know uh, an umpiring department and also uh, the broader community uh whether it be the football club environment uh, uh the nfnl uh organization itself uh, we all have a, a an equal role to uh to nurture uh, umpiring and uh, and protect its uh integrity and um Every time that uh, we get a, a new inquiry about umpiring, uh, we certainly uh, reach out to that individual and uh, you know, immediately start communicating with them and uh, make them feel part of our umpiring team or umpiring group, so to speak. Um, we coach and educate them on uh, the basic skills of umpiring, uh, the field, boundary and goal, whatever discipline they, they belong to. And then... From the training track, we actually go out on weekends and, and observe them and support them and, and show a bit of interest in them. Uh, communication's the key. Um, yeah, if you can nurture that, uh, if you can nurture uh, their interest and communicate, uh, appoint accordingly to matches and don't forget about them, now they'll uh, they'll continue umpiring for a long time. There's a lot of interest, Samuel, in umpiring. Uh, there's a lot of young people who want to get involved. Uh, it's just a matter of capturing that in interest, being able to uh, facilitate it in a way that uh, they understand how umpiring works 
and be able to support them on the game day environment. So and that plays a critical role uh, when we're able to provide uh, field boundary and goal umpires to our uh, senior competition on Saturdays and our senior women's because those new umpires going out for the first time aren't alone. They've actually got other mature umpires supporting them and they're part of that team straight away. So even if we can't get a support staff member to watch them in their first game, they're certainly sent to a, an environment where they're part of a team and there's uh, five or six other umpires around them. You can also assist and support them in their um, in their journey in umpiring. How, how important, you mentioned game day experience there as well, but the importance, I guess, um, of, of fans, uh, supporters, players, coaches as well in, in understanding the, the process that takes place for, for obviously umpiring as well. Obviously, there's, you know, from time to time, mistakes going to be made, but the importance, I guess, of, of being understanding that, that that's going to take place and ensuring that these umpires are in a, a quality environment. Yeah. Well, I think the key is, is uh, you know, for uh, for our league, the NFNL and the, and the clubs, so they have avenues to uh, uh, to raise issues and, and don't have to directly uh, raise it with the umpire on the day, where it might um, you know deflate their confidence or anything like that. There's actually avenues for uh, for clubs to uh, raise concerns or even compliment umpiring on occasions. Uh, um, you know, we're totally transparent as an umpiring department and me as director of umpiring, I'm always free to uh, canvas emails and phone calls and any questions and, um, you know, go out and integrate with clubs and, uh, you know, represent the umpiring point of view and also listen to the football point of view as well. I think uh, as con- conjoined interests uh, as an umpiring department and a and, and the league and the clubs themselves, we can we can achieve you know, our main goal, and that is to uh, to provide a, a professional competition that's uh, high in quality, that supports its players, its umpires, and, and the people uh, watching. Uh, if we can get that right on game day, and uh, any issues that come out of that, uh, we just follow the correct uh, avenues uh, you know, to to resolve them in the appropriate manner, rather than um, taking things into their own hands on, on game day. So I think we're working towards that, you know, to that zero tolerance and, you know, pathways of um, of raising concerns about umpiring and nurturing umpiring as well. Obviously, there's pathways that are in place for, for umpires to progress and it's been great, particularly in recent years, to see the number of umpires from the NFNL push up and, and trial with, the, you know, the VFL and, and whatnot as well. Um, I guess a two-part question, obviously, uh, from your point of view, how important is it for us to nurture that talent to then get them to the elite level? And then in second part, uh, we've, we've talked about pathways. Do, do you ever see there being the opportunity for their bit to be at the AFL level full-time umpires? Uh, good question, Samuel. Um, our strike rate with uh, nominating umpires uh, to the next level VFL uh, and then being accepted onto their list uh, is very high. I would say it'd be in the uh, 80 to 90% uh, range of uh, our umpires going on to a higher level of football after being nominated. And from there, uh, obviously, uh, the VFL will look after the umpire from that point of view, and hopefully they can take the next step onto AFL, which is another step for them. But locally and in community football, uh, there are several programs which a lot of our young umpires uh, can be directed into, uh, which puts them on that pathway to the VFL and AFL, and such programs are the Female Umpire Academy. We also have uh, the Mates Program, where AFL umpires work with some of the uh, the next-level umpires. 
we also have the Rookie Squad, which uh, goes down to the VFL and joins part of their training once a month uh, for the umpire. And we also have uh, the mentor program where um, some of our senior umpires uh, look after the young umpires and you know, ensure that um, if they've got any concerns or, or, or questions regarding umpiring and which pathway to take that, they can be given some guidance. Uh, and we're fortunate enough to be supported by um, some lots of ex-AFL staff, including myself, uh, you know, Darren Agnew, uh, Darren Goldspink, uh, we've also got Steve Hanley, who also umpired AFL football. Um, and uh, we've had Neville Nash uh, join our team of support staff this year, who runs a, an elite development squad. And um, there's lots of uh, interest in those uh, areas where um, umpires can choose and take the umpire to the next level from community to VFL to AFL. Um, so, yeah, we have a very good strike rate, Samuel. And uh, it is certainly um, the interest is there. Uh, there's opportunity for umpires to progress. And that second part of the question, do you see there one day being an opportunity at AFL level for, for umpires to be employed full-time? I don't see umpires to be employed full-time anywhere in the near future, Samuel. Um, I just my feelings are that there's probably enough, not enough support work uh, to assist them full-time in the umpiring um, space, uh, but certainly... Um, they do get remunerated quite well when they're at the elite level for that um, you know, 10 or 15 year period that they are umpiring. Um, so therefore, it's important that they have a, a secondary income to support uh, life after football, um, and uh, they're not, they don't fall you know, behind the eight ball once their career finishes. In saying that, uh, we've got a number of uh, NFNL umpires on the VFL list who are umpiring senior VFL football at the moment, and. Um, I'm confident down the track in uh, in two or three years that uh, one of our umpires will certainly uh, break through and, and umpire league football in the near future. Well, Marty, thank you for joining us. Obviously, it's a, it's a very big weekend for the umpiring fraternity, 2019 Community Umpiring Week. Obviously, one of the initiatives that we, we haven't mentioned just yet, but one that we'll be encouraging uh, from league level will be for all coaches to, uh, prior to the game, join the captains at the coin toss to, to shake hands with the umpires as well. Just something uh, small, but to acknowledge that the round that, that is ahead. Uh, so we do appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for, for your work with the umpiring community, and we hope you enjoy the 2019 Community umpiring round thank you Samuel to everyone who has tuned in to episode 4 of the NFNL podcast we do hope you have enjoyed the episode as always you can tune in via nfnl.org.au also subscribe via iTunes to get all the latest editions as they are uploaded thank you for tuning in enjoy your week of NFNL football and netball action (laughs) 